You're listening to Giro Vagando, the cycling podcast at the 2023 Giro d'Italia. Today we are in San Salvo. Buonasera, Brian, where are we? Buonasera, Daniel, we're in a place that doesn't exist. We finally made it down to Molise. If there was any doubt about whether we were entering southern Italy, we are fully immersed. Is there anywhere in Denmark that's reputed not to exist? Is somewhere in Germany, I've talked about this before, Bielefeld is said not to exist. Mm, I, potentially the place I was born. Oh, really? <laughs> it's not wishful thinking. It's, it's an okay place, I have great memories. But it was once voted the ugliest town of Denmark. And how did it produce such a well, such a beautiful swan, Brian, as yourself? It's, I mean, I've even one of the younger Danish pros, Helmos of um, Trek. He's not here. He should be, but he he says like your your hometown is like just one big parking lot, and I don't disagree. I mean, I moved away when I was 18. You're so. the prodi- not the prodigal. You're the prodigious son. We made that mistake last year. Prodigal versus prodigious. Brian, uh, I've had a stressful day. I, I can tell. I, I have just on the way to record the podcast. I said I'm going to have to lean on you quite heavily today because I've been hard at work. Even if I do say so myself, on tomorrow's kilometer zero, we've both been hard at work. Um, but I also had some serious phone issues today. If your phone fails you on a grand tour, it's like trying to pedal with I don't know one wheel. And we often talk about the grand tour tax. Yes. You, know, you lose something along the way and hopefully it's not your dignity it's or respect early this for time. other people. And it's one of the wor- that is one of the worst things. It's one of the worst things to happen. Um, it's like an incarceration. Yeah. It could get stolen. Brian, you made a big statement a couple of minutes ago about tonight's Tele the Tapa. You're feeling pretty confident tonight. You're feeling as confident. Did you not notice they also asked you to not do that intro? Oh, sorry. You are feeling as confident as Remco Avenapol sounded in the press conference after today's stage. We'll discuss that in a minute. But it's time for the tale of the tappa. Stage two of the 2023 Giro d'Italia. Excellent so far. Two kilometers, thank you, from Teramo to San Salvo. Pretty straightforward stage. Quite boring, actually. They even mentioned that on TV in the after show. So two intermediate sprints, two cat four climbs. Otherwise, a long flat schlep down to the coast to Molise. One of the 20 regions of Italy that famously doesn't exist. But here we are, as we said initially. And it, at least it, today it made it one of its seaside towns, famous by hosting uh, the first road stage of the 2023 Giro. There are whooping seven stages that are more than 200 kilometers in this Giro, and this was the first of them. The two cataract climbs were at kilometer 84, 130. The two intermediate sprints were at 101 and respectively 121 kilometers into the stage. The day's breakaway basically went at the flag, and it was quite visible that the, especially the sprinters' teams, they were happy with four, eventually five riders going up the road and then they, they made it impossible for anyone to join them. The riders were as follows. Uh, from Eshi Duzar, Paul Lapiera, Thomas Champion of Cofidis, Etie, uh, Mattia Baez of Eolo Cometa, Stefano Gandin from Team Corotex Italia, and Alessandro Vere from Akea Samsic, who actually eventually fell back, then later caught by the peloton in the middle of the stage. The work in the peloton was quite clearly divided between Trek and Alpecin de Koenig, but the peloton went quite slow and did the chase all'elastico, as you say in Italian, so basically a little bit back and forth. But the break never had more than uh, five and a half minutes. It was quite easy to uh, make the overview of the, the, 
the guys, the riders who took the points. So Paulia Piera from the, I should say, took both the GPM, the first one in, in Silvi Paese, and also took the one in Ripa Tiatina, where we were yesterday. Uh, story the, about that later. Rocky Marciano statue. And thus taking the Maliatsura. We'll come back to that because there was a bit of a confusion about that at the start this morning. Stefano Gandin from uh, Team Corotech, which has been a fantastic day for them. They're one of the wildcard teams. He won the intermediate sprint in Pescara and also won the second one in Chieti. However, it wasn't enough to take the jersey. I'll come back to that, the, the sprinter's jersey. So with 60 kilometers to go, the gap was down to one minute and it hovered around there. The breaker was finally caught at uh, with 38 kilometers to go. Team Segafredo came to the front to line up Mass Peterson for the sprint. But as we came closer to the finish in San Salvo, it got a little bit gnarly, got a little bit difficult. The, G, uh, the GC teams, all everyone wanted to be there. It looked quite devastating. There was a crash at four kilometers to go. It was a narrow road, but uh, actually the crash happened. It started in the middle of the of the bunch. Dan Hula went down from, from Trek. A few other riders went down. As far as we know right now, uh, no one was seriously injured, but it eventually meant that one of the favorites for today's stage, Mats Pearson, wasn't really able to contest it. It basically derailed his entire sprint train. On the finish line, however, it was probably only around 50 riders contesting for the victory. And here, quite sensationally, young Italian rider from Bahrain, Merida, Jonathan Milan, did a long sprint, kind of long sprint actually, after being led out by one of his teammates. But eventually he got into the slipstream of another favorite for the stage, a real favorite for the stage, you'd say, Caden Groves. So he won the stage, took the jersey, he won it in front of David Decker of uh, Akea Samsic, Caden Groves, uh, of Alpecin was third. The beers have arrived. Crack on, arrived. crack on. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I just completely lost my my concentration. Being Train was derailed there. This is a beer that's like Lionel Bernie worthy. Anyways, so yeah, a huge victory, a huge Italian victory. Last year we had to actually get into the middle of the Giro before that eventuated. So after a bit of a drought um, perspective for the GC and, and Italy, they now have, and I'm sure there's going to be the headlines in several papers tomorrow, the new Italian sprinter sensation. He's already an established rider, but more so on the track. He's actually Olympic champion uh, from Tokyo, part of the quarter that beat Denmark for the Olympic gold. Brian, what happened on GC? Because of that crash, uh, there was a split in the peloton and it was just before, it was between four and, and three kilometers to go. So no a dividend was given, the time wasn't neutralized. And it actually meant that Tao Gegenhard lost four places in the GC is now at eighth. And Jay Vine also moves back to um, a minute and, and five after uh, Remco, who obviously still leads the race. So he's down to 10th. There was a change. There was a change even before the stage started on one of the classifications, King of the Mountains. What what went on with that this morning? If, if we talked about, like, we haven't felt that we've been, you know, sometimes the South is like, identical with you know chaos and disorganization and there was certainly a feeling of that especially for brenda mcnulty who apparently a little bit to his surprise got the climb he was i spoke yesterday. to him this morning he wasn't targeting it by any means he said that he felt like he was going quickly on that climb the well, way he was quite surprised by this morning's events shall we say yeah so they apparently uh, made a mistake in the measurements and the and that segment that was basically to give the uh, the mountains jerseys to the after the after the time trial so they came basically 20 minutes uh, before the start and told Magnolsi that sorry you, you you can't have it you're actually going to wear the white jersey which he actually doesn't own either as from Poevnepol and Charles Mader would actually be the rightful owner but he decided to ride today in, in his 
national uh, champions jersey. So Tao Gegenhardt was actually the fastest on that segment and then rightfully wore that jersey on the stage. Brian, you mentioned sprint finish. We're going to talk a lot more about Jonathan Milan, the stage winner. Milan or Milan? There's a bit of uncertainty about that, even from Jonathan Milan himself. He's been asked about that, how you pronounce his name, whether you put the stress on the I or the A, and he's not quite sure. Um, in Italy, of course, the famous football team, Milan from AC Milan, as you call it in English. That's how that's pronounced, Milan. Um, but there is some uncertainty about how you pronounce today's stage winner. However, second place, we think we know how you pronounce that, David Decker. A bit of a surprise, I must say, for Arkea Samsic. And it's also, it was a bit of a surprise to me, I was at the finish line, to see how elated he was to finish second. That's not usually something you see at the end of sprint finishes. And there were some prominent names, shall we say, prominent sprinters who didn't look quite as happy after the finish line. However, here's David Decker. A lot of uh, fun, a lot of confidence, not only for me, for the team as well. So, uh, some people are not happy with second, but today I am. David, how chaotic were those last four or five kilometers? We saw the road, the road narrowed, it looked pretty dangerous. Yeah, it was. Uh, we actually thought that it would only be the first part. And uh, it was dangerous, but maybe it also helped a little bit too regulate uh, the peloton and stretch it a little bit. Yeah, yeah the, stre the crash was, of course, awful. And just tell us about the feeling in the peloton throughout the day. It was a stage that was obviously going to finish in a sprint off, and these days are very, very tense. Uh, yeah, it was actually a pretty, pretty calm day. I expected to be hectic away, uh, way earlier. I think now it started around 30, 35k before the finish. Uh, but the road, the final hour was, uh, was a fine road to, to go to, not too much dangerous stuff, so it was okay. The Cycling Podcast at the 2023 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to Science in Sport for supporting the Cycling Podcast and enabling us to give daily coverage of the Giro d'Italia once again. We've been speaking to Ineos Grenadiers riders about their fueling habits and I asked Pavel Sivakov what the difference between fueling for a Grand Tour is when compared to a one-day race. For a one-day race, you don't really think about the day after. Like you have a one day, so the loading you might do the day before is is much higher because it's going to be much more intense on the on the given day as well. Um, on a ground tour, is more you always think about the day after about your recovery. Of course, you have to feel a lot, but uh, you have to be careful and really find the balance between fueling enough and not overfueling because it might also affect. I think you wait the day after it, so yeah, you, you you retain a bit more before a big mountain stage is going to affect your performance. But at the same time, you, you don't want to be underfueled and also, that's also going to affect your performance. So you really need to find the, the perfect balance for you. And yeah, this comes with experiences. I mean, you can have the best nutritionist in the world, but if he doesn't know your body or you don't know your body, is yeah, it's going to be hard to know. So this comes with the, with the years, I think. For the full Science in Sport range, go to scienceinsport.com. Well, Brian, a first stage win in the Giro d'Italia for Jonathan Milan. Milan, maybe we will get a little bit more clarity on that later in the race. Uh, there was a statistic that flashed up on Italian TV. I think he's the 13th, only the 13th rider in history from Friuli to win a stage in the Giro, which is surprising. It's a big region up there in the far northeast of Italy. He's predominantly known as a track rider, isn't he? However, 
And you said in your tale of the tapper that he's someone who, well, the Italians will hail him tomorrow as their next big sprinting hope. When I see a rider like him emerge, or the way he sprints particularly, and there was some chat on Italian TV about him being quite ragged on the bike, but just how tall he is, I think he's 190 centimetres, and he's a, he's a sort of a battering ram rather than a rider who relies on fast twitch muscle fibres, you would think. Um, from the layman's perspective, reminds me a bit of Alessandro Pataki. Yeah, even Pataki said that himself. You know, he's one of the expert commentators. But he did also mention that he needs to work on his sprinting style. He was, I mean, he stayed in his line, but he was bouncing back and forth. And, and I think he didn't say to give him style points, but it's more that he could potentially be even more efficient with his power output if if every single you know, movement he has actually goes to the into the pedals and not swerving from side to side. You mentioned the sprint trains. A few of them were derailed. Um, I spoke to, I was speaking to someone from Astana a couple of days ago. We were talking about the various sprint trains here. Well, we've, the, the sprint field is not the deepest of this Giro d'Italia. And I thought that would translate into, well, what we would see in the last two or three kilometers of stages. We wouldn't necessarily see sprint trains that were particularly well organized, particularly well drilled. And would it be fair to say that that, proved to be the case it was quite chaotic it became that way because of the race uh, because of the parkour layout because everyone needed to be ready for the section between two kilometers to go and one kilometer to go one kilometer to go was basically all straight line after that and that meant that all the gc teams they needed to be, be there as well in this in the exact same moment when the road narrowed so it's Sometimes crashes, especially when, when GC guys need to be there. Remco Evenepoel said so himself in the in the press conference that he, he'd he even said he wanted to be there until kilometer three, and then he wanted to fall back just, just to stay safe. I mean, it could go either way. If you don't have a very strong sprinter team set up, breakaways will go successfully. And that didn't happen today, but it could happen on some of the intermediate stages where it's probably too hard for those few real sprinters that are here. We'll talk about the GC later and the break, the likelihood that breaks will go. And Remco Evenepoel dropped a very heavy hint in his press conference that a break not only will go, but it will be allowed to go with his blessing. He will very much encourage a break to go, it sounded like, tomorrow. But going back to Jonathan Milan, do you know where he hails from? A place very well known to the cycling podcast, Tolmezzo. Tolmezzo, possibly, possibly the home of Tiramisu. Of course, it's very much disputed between Tolmezzo and Treviso, as we've talked about at great length on the cycling podcast. But talking of lead-outs, um, I saw a jubilant Andrea Pasqualon at the finish line. Bahrain Victorious is a team more noted for its climbers and climbing ability. But Pasqualon is quite highly rated, certainly by Milan and in the peloton, as someone who can do a very good job in the lead-out train. Yeah, Milan thanked him very, very specifically also. And it's an incredible uh, story for him personally, for Milan and, and for that team, because you, you, you would never really expect them to be part of such a of such a finish. With Even if Ken Groves is still an emerging sprinter, and even if uh, some of the other riders here aren't as good as they maybe used to be, it's still a sensational win for them, and and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of Pasqualon, I think, in in the credit role for that for that achievement. I said earlier, I think he was the 13th uh, Friulano from Friuli to win a Giro stage. Actually, I mean the seventh, quite remarkably. Um, Brian, 
Speaking of tiramisu, when I speak of tiramisu, I can't help but think of Lionel Bernie, our good friend, our colleague, also a lover of tiramisu. I spoke to him earlier today. Let's wind back the clock a few hours. And well, there was no tiramisu with our cappuccino around about lunchtime. But here we are. It's past 11. Time for my cappuccino break. La pausa cappuccino con Lionel Bernie. Dopo le 11. Pronto, pronto. Hello, Daniel. Lionel. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. Yeah, how are you? Do you reply in the most not Watford way imaginable? Um, you know, there's no Italian flourish there. I thought you might, you know, indulge me a little bit, but no. How are you? <laughs> I'm very well, thank you. Very well. Yes, uh, just been catching up on the opening episode, Daniel. Excellent stuff from you and Brian yesterday. Off to a flyer. Thank you very much. Um, you very, very, much. G- very glad you mentioned the Trabocchi, the little fishing huts, very much part of the, the furniture along that coast, aren't they? Attractive little things. Would have been a bit of an oversight not to mention the Trabocchi when the stage was called Costa Tapa de la Costa dei Trabocchi. That would have been, we probably would have got a ticking off from Mara Venue for not mentioning it. It would have been eccentric, but it gives me a great opportunity to mention that Stacey Snyder's cups, mugs and gelato bowls sold out yesterday in three minutes. They feature a really attractive design uh, telling the story of the Giro, really, because it's got the Trabocchi on one side and the Colosseum in Rome on the other side. But uh, if you did miss out on a Stacey Snyder cup or mug or gelato bowl there'll be another collection for the tour de france in july i do have to pick you up on something though daniel you talked about rocky marciano now when i was a young man i was really kind of fascinated by the uh, the boxing scene of the 50s marciano undoubtedly one of the greats but i do think muhammad ali fans might want a word about you describing Marciano, Marciano as the greatest. I think Muhammad Ali is still the greatest. I did not describe him as the greatest. I said possibly one of the greatest, okay. arguably the greatest. I think you need to listen a bit more attentively, Lionel. <laughs> um, and also, this wasn't on your this wasn't on your list of things. Because oh, I'm gonna we're gonna have a lovely call, Daniel. Um, yeah, here's the <laughs> list. And you didn't tell me that you were gonna you know left hook me with what? a corrections corner. Well, send me. Send me reeling into the red corner. Into, into the ropes. You're corner. on the ropes. On the ropes already. Uh, having said that, you know, and in, in the tradition of the praise sandwich, one thing that I really picked up from the podcast that I hadn't really noticed from watching the time trial on TV yesterday was how closely matched Remco Evenepoel and Primoz Roglic were on the climb section of the time trial from the second checkpoint to the finish, only a second in it in Evenepoel's favour. And so I think that explains why Roglic Roglitch sounded really upbeat when you spoke to him. Yes. Uh, any other any other notes, dispatches, footnotes, Lionel? Couple of things. Corrections. From, not corrections. Couple of things from listeners. Richard Dawson from Shrewsbury wrote in to point out that on the Queen's coronation day, Queen Elizabeth, June the second, nineteen fifty-three, it was the final day of that year's Giro. Fausto Coppi wrapped up victory, and so he's wondering whether uh, yesterday was the coronation of King Remco. We'll have to see. We've got to wait another three weeks for that. And our nickname for Brian, Il Barone, I think it's absolutely perfect. You know, he is he is podcast royalty. But somebody on Twitter, Jens on Twitter, pointed out that he's not the first. Il Baroni, uh, Niels Liedholm, Swedish footballer, 
played for Milan in the 1950s and retired and then went into the winemaking business, owned a vineyard in Italy, apparently. Very apt. Very apt. Very apt. I keep wanting to call Brian the Il Barone Rampante, and that's a very famous Italian book by an author called Italo Calvino. However, the, the story of that book, well, it's about a child, a boy, a, a sort of noble young boy who, in a sort of gesture of protest when he gets served up, I think snail soup, he goes to live in a tree for the rest of his life. Sounds a little <laughs> bit more like me than Brian, to be honest. Yeah, that you're the nomad of the podcast, aren't you? A couple of yes. other things. Just watching stage two unfold here, pretty much as expected, the kind of the, the early break. Gianni Savio, not on the Giro d'Italia this year, but one of his boys in the break, Mattia Baez, who was in the first break of last year's Giro, wasn't he? In Hungary. Uh, he was in every break of last year's Giro, was, pretty much. That's right. So the sort of the, the silhouette of Gianni Savio is here on the Giro. And very lastly, it's May the 7th today, Daniel. What would have been our dear friend Richard Moore's 50th birthday. Uh, he's been in my thoughts today. Uh, I'm sure he's been in yours, and I know he's been in the thoughts of a lot of our listeners too, judging by social media. We have some very fond memories of spending Richard's birthday at the Giro d'Italia, don't we? And uh, I hope that you and Brian, well, I know that you and Brian will raise a glass to the Buffalo this evening. Indeed, indeed, Lionel. Uh, we will, and we will speak to you tomorrow. Enjoy the sprint finish. So, Brian, we've dealt with the sprint finish. We mentioned changes as well on general classification. On one change in particular, Theo Gegenhart conceded 19 seconds. He was among well, was several GC contenders who can conceded a bit of time after that crash. 19 seconds is not enough at this stage of the race to give Theo Gegenhart and those others any sleepless nights. If this was a one-week stage race, it would be a different story. But... I, I would suggest that they'll be almost relieved to have contained the damage this evening. For sure. It was a crash that happened very close to where Remco Evenepoel was sitting in the peloton. And he mentioned that he, you know, he, he heard the crash and he saw it. And he was also eyewitness to whose fault it was. And he was quite specific about that in the press conference. Who was it? Name, name. Kitten Gross. Basically, he said when the... When the Alpecin train came along, that, that's when it happened that they were trying to push into uh, where no room was, was made for them. And that it, hap it didn't happen on the side of, the, of this quite narrow section of, uh, of the finish. It, it was in the middle. And, you know, in shoulders, Rob, it doesn't take much. And then once one rider loses uh, balance in such a uh, you know, late part of the stage, it, it can go horribly wrong. He talked as well about how much he'd enjoyed his day in the pink jersey. You know what it reminded me of? He talked about, well, he was asked, and this is typical. We we anticipated this before the Giro. There's a certain style of press conference and interview at the Giro. It's very much about this. How much are you loving the Giro? And it's, there's a lot of talk about the aesthetics of Italy and the aesthetics of the pink jersey. I mean, they're potentially putting words into the yeah. any leaders. What's the mouth? most beautiful jersey? Mirror, mirror on the wall, Remco. Yeah, is it yeah. the rainbow jersey? Or is it the Maglia Rosa? It reminded me of a conversation I had with Eva. Ivan Quaranta, a sprinter, sort of famous sprinter in the late 90s, about one day, I think it was, what year was it, 99 maybe, where he took the pink jersey in Sicily, and he told me a funny story about how obsessed he was with his own reflection um, that day. It wasn't Ivan Quaranta who was in the pink jersey, it was Narcissus himself, because he said every shop window they went past the whole day. Um, he couldn't help but sneak a glance at himself, an admiring glance at himself. But Remco, you were impressed with Remco in the press conference, weren't you? 
I was very impressed because he, I'm sure he'd, he'd been prepared for those questions as well. And it's a tricky one. I mean, they asked, so, you know, you, you rode the TT in the Belgium National Champions skin suit. You're wearing the World Champions jersey. Wore his fast jersey. skin yesterday as yeah, well. Yeah, I mean, he, imagine if he'd ridden naked how fast he would have been. So, you know, this and his standard jersey is the, is the rainbow-colored one. And he said, well, in, in general, that jersey is the one that, that I really identify with. But for this month, the pink is the most beautiful. And that's exactly what they want to hear. And yeah, they're, they're, they're eating it up, you know. They, well, um, I was just looking at our good friend Luca Gialanella. He wrote an editorial this morning in La Gazzetta dello Sport. And I was just looking at a couple of the pool quotes from that. The Belgium has an incredible energy and, and huge personality. Yeah, and that's this a quote, is only the start. Yeah, that's a quote from, from Cairo, who, who is basically the, the overall boss of the RCS group. So basically the company that owns, runs and profits from whatever uh, well... They'll be showering uh, kind of rose petals on the way to the start tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, and also imagine, imagine if he hadn't been here, right? Imagine if it, it was down to just Roglic or a handful of other favorites, fantastic bike riders like Tauguin Hart and Garen Thomas. But it just rises above when a superstar like Remco Evenepoel is here, and and they they they're going to make the most of it. Roglic did well today, didn't he, to be in that first split because well, it's a criticism that's been leveled at him in the past. Particularly, this was also something we discussed in the run-up to the Giro. He hasn't raced for a long time. He hasn't raced since Catalonia. And I said that if he was caught in splits at the start of the Giro, then the narrative would be he wasn't race fresh, he wasn't race ready. And he looked, he was alert today. I think there were three Jumbo Visma riders in that first tranche of the peloton. So good news for him. The big difference between him and, and Evenepoel is that he's extremely experienced. And he he cannot allow himself to make any mistakes. And I'm repeating myself here because he he needs Remco to make mistakes. So Roglic also now after the start he had he can't miss any difficult moments. He can't be stuck behind the peloton. He you know his he he has to sort of bank on the fact that his not bad, it wasn't bad luck yesterday, but he just can't afford to lose any more time for you know for for, for bad judgment calls. Brian, you mentioned Geraint Thomas earlier when we were talking about Theo Gegenhart. He had a good ride yesterday, didn't he? He was ninth in the time trial. He didn't lose any time today. He was snugly in that first group, that first peloton or demi-peloton, semi-peloton at the finish. I spoke to him this morning, got a bit of a debrief on yesterday's time trial. Asked him about how he's feeling generally at the start of this Giro d'Italia. Uh, how do you feel about yesterday, first of all, Geraint? Yeah, all right. Once you got a bit of time to reflect on it, like it wasn't so bad. You always want more. And yeah, I just overcooked it slightly at the start. And then this bent, I just didn't have quite enough to really go on that climb. But not a million miles away, taking all emotion out of it. Coming here is probably roundabouts where I would expect, you know, after the, the start that you have had. Decent start and uh, 20 days to go. I mean, generally, how are you feeling about your condition? Obviously, last year you had this great sort of spring where you were able to get through every race and it was all as as planned this year's been a bit different oh, it's the first time i've ever had any issues to be honest like sickness or anything so um and it was sustained as well it was a good few months of it so um yeah it's certainly been a, a turbulent start but uh and then with the giro starting two months earlier as well it's all been it's felt a bit of a rush but um yeah i managed to get here now in in decent enough shape i feel and i think hopefully i can uh if not get better at least sort of like stay around where I am and other people might drop off a bit but uh, yeah we'll see. How close are you to the form you were in at the Tour last year? It's hard to say like you know 
power-wise, it's not so bad, but it's just, um, yeah, it's just that consistency of it, really. And um, it feels like I'm just coming into some good form. I was at the tour, you know, I'd had a good month or so, like, you know, at that sort of level. So, but yeah, as I keep saying, you know, it's, the, it's all about the last last week here. So, yeah, we'll stay positive and see where we end up. In questo senso si chiama la Purdue, no? Qua in dialetto. Oppure può, può venire anche da verde, perché il piatto poi alla fine diventa quasi verde, sì. ma per via delle verdure. E può venire anche da, da verde. Brian, no Larinzando today, didn't catch up with Larry, didn't even see him at the finish actually. But there was a bit of a postcard from us there. Um, we, this morning, we took a little bit of a detour, didn't we? Or after the start today in Teramo, we went in search of something called Le Vertu. And you heard a little bit of us there talking to a gentleman called Marcello Schilacci, no relation of Toto Schilacci, although I'd be very happy to talk about football giving events, given events in Newcastle that I've got one eye on this evening. Um, no relation of Toto Schilacci, but Marcello Schilacci is the, the sort of czar of this dish, which is typical of Teramo, called Le Vertu, and it's kind of a minestrone. You can't call it a minestrone? No, but it's, it would it looks very much like a minestrone. What it's is a, a minestrone? In, it's got a lot of beans in it. It's got pasta in it, but it's a little bit more special than that, and there's going to be a lot about this and other Italian food traditions in tomorrow's Kilometer Zero, isn't that, Brian? Yeah, and some significant myth-busting, even for me, after having lived here for so many years. I potentially need to rename one of my daughters who's, <laughs> you know, so if, and not, if that's not a cliffhanger, then I don't know what. Brian, today we're also going to, we're also going to debut, we're going to premiere another new feature, no Latin Sando, but one of the regular features on this Giro d'Italia, potentially every day, is going to be something we're calling La Chiacchierata del Giorno, the chinwag of the day. And it's going to be a sort of free-flowing, meandering conversation with a subject which we deem to be worthy of our listeners' interests. First on the Occhi, or first at the crease today, is a gentleman, a young, very young gentleman, the youngest rider in the Giro d'Italia, He's an American called Matthew Ricitello. I'm going to pronounce it alla italiana because it is an Italian name. Um, although I'm letting believe that Matthew Ricitello sometimes pronounces it Ricitello. Shades of Daniel Ricciardo and F1, which drives me mad because it definitely shouldn't be pronounced Daniel Ricciardo. Anyway, here's Matthew Ricitello. The youngest rider in this Giro d'Italia, he rides for Israel Premier Tech, and by all accounts, he's an extremely promising climber, which we'll, who we'll see more of later in the race. La chiacchierata del giorno, the chin wag of the day. How's your first day on the Giro? Yeah, good. Nice to get started a bit. I think maybe today's the first real stage. Yesterday didn't feel too much like a. I mean, it was nice to start with a time trial and get the legs going a bit, but yeah, I think today will be uh, another cool experience, almost like the first day again. Just sum up well, what have your sort of anxieties been over the last week or your general frame of mind coming into your first Grand Tour? A bit of everything, I think. Mostly excitement. Uh, it's a really, really good opportunity, I think, and an opportunity I didn't think I would get at the beginning of the year, so not too much pressure from the team or anything it's not too much stress and excitement I'd say is the main thing Matthew a lot of people will know your surname or people who follow triathlon will know your surname how come you ended up as a cyclist and not a swimmer or a runner that's a good question uh, I don't know I actually started running and swimming before cycling always kind of on their own not 
I did a few triathlons, but nothing like super competitive. But ran cross country and track in middle school and high school, and swam over the summer and year round for a bit. But yeah, cycling was kind of the last thing I picked up. I don't really know why I started cycling when I was 13 or 14. But yeah, like you said, my father was a triathlete, so I'd grown up around cycling. The tour was always on TV. So uh, yeah, once I started riding, I I just I enjoyed it more than running and swimming. So I just kept riding. You're the youngest rider in the race. You're going to tell me in a minute that your first cycling hero was Egan Bernal or someone from about three years ago. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Bernal, for sure. I always enjoyed watching Nibali, Froome as well. Like, these guys are the, the guys that I, I, when I started watching and paying close attention, they were they were doing well, and uh, they were the inspiration. GC guys, yeah, Grand Tour guys. And you said you didn't necessarily expect this year to do a Grand Tour. Just tell us how it came about. With the performances in the earlier races, just the team thought that at this point maybe, I mean, if they had a few spots open up in, for the Giro, and today now maybe would be a good opportunity to get in and just get some experience. It was definitely a decision that it wasn't an e- easy decision for me or for the team. It was something that they really had to think about and make sure it was the right thing to do. But 21 days of racing in a row, it's, I think, a really good opportunity to learn and to grow as a bike rider. And just tell us how that communication comes about. Is it Was it a meeting where you were told face-to-face? Or was it a phone call? Was it a message? Zoom call with the management and also some talking face-to-face at some of the races. And It wasn't one moment where they said, you're going to the Giro d'Italia and you sort of, you know, your heart was in your mouth. There were a couple of weeks where they were deciding and there was one day where they said, look, you, you're doing the Giro, which was an exciting message to get. But yeah, it'd been a couple of weeks that it was like uh, maybe. We can see you've got an Italian surname. How much do you know about your Italian heritage, where the family is from? Uh, yeah, I don't know enough, unfortunately. I should know more. But I think my, my uh, great-grandfather on my dad's side is from, from Italy and came over to the U.S. in the early 1900s, uh, to New York, actually. and Kind of a typical story at that time, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. And then as far as spe- like specifically where from in Italy, I don't know. We think Napoli or the south, but uh, not, not 100% sure. Is there any way you can give your family, your dad, maybe some homework over the next three weeks so we can find out by the time, or hopefully you'll get to Rome, by the time you get to Rome? Yeah, maybe uh, it's his job these three weeks. I'll, I'll focus on the racing and he can look at the family history. So maybe he already, he probably already knows more than I do. I just didn't pay attention when, when, uh, when he told me. So that's probably more. Chiro, I feel like hugging you because your team Napoli has just won the Scudetto. My team Arsenal took a step closer just minutes ago in Newcastle. Ah. So what's happening with Arsenal? Because you know. I don't know. Ah, really? Yeah. How are you? More importantly, uh, how are you? Uh, who have ever imagined to see an Italian victory today in San Salvo, in the Giro, with Jonathan Milan, the next big thing? We- of Italian sprints. We talked about this, the confusion about how you pronounce his name. No one is sure. Even he's not 100% sure. Um, I've heard that he sometimes pronounces it Milan and not Milan. 
I think in Italian Milan. This is my choice. And Chiro, I have to go back to the football for a second. Did you notice that there were three, allegedly there were three Arsenal fans in the top 10 yesterday because Remco has outed himself as an Arsenal fan as well? Uh, I know and I know also that the press officer of Remco Evenpool, Phil Law, okay, is a Manchester City supporter, so I can't imagine what's happening now also because Manchester City, we know, is in the... Uh, in the battle also for the Champions League, but maybe we should talk about cycling. Then. Uh, maybe, I, maybe. I we occasionally do here on the cycling podcast. Chira, um, I was alongside you in the mix zone this morning and Remco came in in the pink jersey and you said to me, you whispered in my ear, you quite like the, you like the cut of Remco's jib, you like him as a character, don't you? It's strange, you know, dear listeners, normally my philosophy, when I see a cyclist, I change sidewalk, you know, when I see a I, I, I escape because normally I don't want to talk, I don't love to talk with cyclists, but in the case of Remco, I think um, I like very much him because I have an impression that he thinks before answering. He tries uh, to do interesting answers, but also Brian, I think uh, um, I, I see him uh, that uh, is saying I'm nodding yes, I'm so nodding right now yeah and so also because yeah, interesting background I mean uh, he was a footballer but also he did that 16 years half marathon uh, within one hour and 16 minutes so um, in my opinion is very interesting also imagine another little little story you know is uh, his wife Omi uh, she's Belgian but uh, she's origin are from Morocco and uh, Remco told me in UA tour that he's trying to study uh, to study Arab to speak uh, a little bit better also with the Omi parents I mean in from my point of view this is interesting Ciro, last thing we just spoke to the youngest rider in the Giro d'Italia we just heard from him Ricitello he pronounces his name Ricchitello, um, or he occasionally does. He's not sure where his family is from, but he thinks he thinks he might be co-national. Uh, he might they might be from Naples. Maybe uh, I heard uh, a story in the bunch. I didn't verify it yet. That his surname, his surname at the very beginning was Ricchitello, and then at a certain point, a letter disappeared. Like so you're some, about to disappear. Someone stole it, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yes, maybe. But in any case, we'll try to discover also this. But not for my interest, dear listeners, but your interest. Chiro, we'll see you in the next few days. Yeah. We'll certainly see you in Naples. I hope soon. I hope soon. Thank you, Chiro. And off he goes. Off he goes. Off he goes. Off he, off he scuffles. Brian, time for another regular feature. La tappa di domani e la cena di ieri. Tomorrow's stage... Yesterday's dinner. We've talked about food once in this part. Let's talk about food again. We had a fancy... I bowed to your wishes last night. You took us for a fancy Barone-style meal. Um, it was a very lonely meal, I must say. What do we... Tell us a bit about what... Tell the listeners about what we had. We. It, was, it wasn't a, a far drive, but the restaurant, the, the atmosphere felt like it was quite far away. And it had been... It was like going into someone's living room with very old furniture very traditional you know the the maitre had a fine suit and was very it was actually it was the, um, the director of the local ice which is the sommelier association of the area we were looking for traditional food and traditional food we got 
I got I I got a fully vegetarian meal, which I was happy with. Yeah, vegetarian primo also of um, with fava beans, which is my favorite vegetable. I got ticked off by one of our Italian colleagues from the Italian podcast, Gironimo, our sister podcast, um, earlier today because he he listened to us. Was it yesterday? I talked about having two primi, two first yeah, you courses. Call it a starter. It's a no no. It's a definitely a no no to have two primi. Do you know what else? Our sister podcast, Gironimo, they copied us, they plagiarized us, and went to the Rocky Marcianos statue today but they were incredibly fortunate i'm slightly skeptical about this story but they claim that no sooner had they arrived than one of rocky marciano's distant cousins showed up and introduced himself i mean how many of those would there actually be in that Probably small town village isn't it yeah <laughs> brian we've talked about yesterday's dinner what about tomorrow's stage tomorrow's stage is actually really interesting so it's stage three from vasto oh, to melfi sincere <laughs> It is sincere. It is sincere. Like, who used to dress that anyways? So, it's another long stage, 213 kilometers. We're heading away from the coast. You'll be happy about that. We're going into more hillier terrain, uh, inland. Mobile phone <laughs> repair shops, hopefully. Yeah, I doubt it, though, because we're going to Basilicata, a very, in my opinion at least, unknown region of Italy, almost like secret region of Italy, at least in, in the general mind of the public, I think. And it's... Um, it's quite a tricky stage, uh, not just because of the length, but because of a certain section that starts with 43 kilometers to go and ends at 26 kilometers to go. There's a couple of climbs, a Cat 3 and a Cat 4 that are like in succession. <clears throat> and then there's a descent. And then actually when they go into Melfi, where the arrival is, the last 500 meters uh, take a rise of around 500, uh, 5%. It's so it's, you know, if there was any roglification I was going to say, is it roglifiable, this stage? I'd say it's definitely roglifiable. I mean, there, there needs to be some kind of selection, I think, in that dif more difficult section of those two climbs in the, in the in the last part of the stage. I think it would be a, a, an obvious place for him to, you know, to, to bring sexy back, to, you know, to really roglify <laughs> I it. don't think there are going to be bonus seconds available, though, because in the early part of the stage i think remco's boys are going to be very happy to see a break disappear a long way down the road because remco was unequivocal really in its press conference wasn't he about wanting really to give the pink jersey away and it was interesting wasn't it i thought he almost gave too much away we all know that Can one I of humbly disagree? We'll, we'll come back to your disagree and the, why you disagree in a minute but we all know that one of the reasons why guys give away the jerseys is because they want to avoid all the faff or the kerfuffle or all the, the, the press conferences it actually yeah. but it's quite rare to hear them be as explicit as he was about that in his press conference he said basically i don't want to be here in the press conference i don't want to be doing all of this and i'd like to get a couple of hours back in the evening can I disagree now? Go on, disagree. I agree with his reasoning. I don't one minute before we close I this episode. I don't disagree with your assessment. We still have to see who needs to seriously lick their wounds after the crash today. Uh, mainly... Well, there are only three guys went down. Yeah, but, you know... Uh, <laughs> no, the, so Out of sort of empathy? Can I, can I finish? <laughs> so, the Trek Sigafredo train got derailed, right? Mass Peterson wasn't able to... Stop laughing. Wasn't able to contest... You know, Danish TV2 says he's potentially going to win nine stages here, so that's definitely with, with two down already. That f finish tomorrow is really good for him, for Magnus Court, and the entire Rye crew, you know, the host television station, agree with me. And for that to happen, it's either going to have to be a monstrously large breakaway, or some of those teams who missed out today are going to keep it together. Who agrees with Brian? Who agrees with me? Let's have a referendum. Let us know on social media. And, um, well, we'll be back tomorrow to find out who was right. The Baron, Il Barone, 
Il barone no rampante, errante. The, so the baron or the baron? The errant baron. Um, or me, um, Brian, we're off to, where are we off to? Vasto, yes. which is still in Molise, the region which doesn't exist. Tomorrow we'll be I in... I hope your hotel booking is, is real though. Yeah, yeah. Um, and tomorrow we'll be back and we'll be in Melfi, hopefully with a functioning mobile phone. Certainly, as far as I'm concerned. Good night. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed, and Lionel Byrne. <laughs>